Hey there, I'm your host, Justin Owens, and this is the Can't Stop Moving Podcast, a deep dive into the life, experiences, and businesses of my very own grandfather, Gary Owens. Each episode, we discuss a different segment of his life or a particular business. He was doing so many different things at the same time, it was really difficult to go in chronological order. So you'll discover quickly that we go off on tangents and down random rabbit holes, but bear with us as I figure out how to interview someone I've known my entire life and attempt to tease out stories I've heard for the better part of 30 years. Thinking about your farm, you buy it from Rich Bonzer. you basically overhaul it, then it turns around and you've got 200 mares coming in. How many studs were there? Seven. Seven. What kind of crew did it take to run that whole operation? Ten. Had a full-time vet. Started Dr. Simon and went to Dr. Newman, to Jack Newman from WSU. Barry Simon was from Colorado State at Fort Collins School. And uh, Jack Newman was from Pullman. So Barry, he's getting about less than half. They're getting them pregnant, and then they're slipping. The baby at uh, six months, five months. Oh, Jack Newman comes along, and he's he's got a quiet personality. And his dating life is not that shiny. So he... He lives on the farm in the big house, and the crew goes home. They breed the mares. The crews go home. And Jack, he doesn't have a girlfriend, so he goes out to the breeding shed, gets the mares up, infuses them, runs a culture on them. They they got some bacteria, endometritis, in the lining of the uterus. And so Jack figures out, you run one infusion on them, and you get a negative test. It's cleared up. Read the mare. Six months later, she slips. So Jack figures out it's cleaning up the outside lining to get her pregnant, but you got to penetrate the lining. So he'd go in the evening. He'd go back out, get the mares up, infuse them again and again and again, and penetrate that. So what's he doing when you say he was infusing them? With biotics, antibiotics. Oh, okay. Giving them a shot or? No. You put the solution in the uterus. Oh, okay. And it absorbs into the lining. Well, the more he would infuse them, the deeper into the lining they would go and they'd carry a full-term baby. Huh. And, boy, he turned things around all of a sudden. We're getting like 80% pregnant, not uh, wow. Baby, live babies. Yeah. So I've got this all in the books, and you look at it, it's just a whale of a change. Oh, Jack turned that thing around. We were getting stud fees coming like crazy. Wow. Live babies. He 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 was really good, and he his grandfather owned Newman's Steakhouse in Great Falls, Montana, and. Uh, he Slight owned, tangent, right? 
Huh? I said, minor tangent. Yeah. He also owned 40 acres of land with a sidewalk around it, and houses all around it. There's 40 acres of bare land in Great Falls. Huh. He also owned a stable on the edge of Great Falls, the grandfather, that had this huge arena with cement trusses. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't see that. Mm-hmm. It, it's unbelievable facility. So Jack inherits that and moves to Great Falls to manage all these properties. So we lose our vet. When did uh, Joe Bays move into the farm? Well, Joe trained, he was our trainer in Washington. Mm-hmm. And uh, I forget what year, but he, we moved in a, three-bedroom, nice trailer on the horse farm, and he lived on the horse farm. And he we built a racetrack on the horse farm, and he would go out and exercise him horses on that racetrack and take him to Playfair. <clears throat> so we'd go down there. Mom mom didn't, we were religious, wouldn't bet a nickel. Your mom. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd take these horses and train them up at the horse farm, and then go into Playfair, and Joe would get up, crack it to barely see anything, and he'd ride them himself. He's a jockey, mm-hmm. Hall of Fame jockey. So he'd go out there and he'd work those horses in the dark. And then we'd take him to Playfair, just blow the doors off. First race out of there. So mom, who didn't bet nothing, she started betting five dollars a race. Boy, she was cleaning up. <laughs> Got hooked on betting. But uh, they caught on. I forget who it was. Myrtle, Myrtle Fredder. Myrtle and Werder. Bill Fredder and his wife used to bet the horses. And they came to me and said, we notice, they were horse bettors, we notice that when you bring a horse in the first time, the thing wins. And they said, we're doing real good on betting your first-time horses. So mom, she was betting her $5, and we're betting too. Mm-hmm. We're, we're making a $1,000 or at least a, a race on the betting Yeah, back then. That's not bad. Because the purses, I mean, for were these claiming races? And yeah. Just to- yeah, we'd start them at the bottom. Do you want to explain what a claiming race is? Oh, well, to keep a horse's equal abilities, you have a five thousand dollar race, or a ten or a twenty. Well, you don't put a ten or twenty thousand dollar valued horse in a five thousand dollar race. They're going to claim it for five, and they got a horse that they can run against the twenties that pay more purses. And then there's allowance races where there's no claiming price, and you carry different weights. Yeah. They allow certain, like from 118 to 126 pounds, including a jockey on the horse. And then there's stake races that uh, they're not claiming either. They're, mm-hmm. They've got a purse, a big purse, and a name. And, and there's allowance, optional claiming. and Right, all kinds yeah. of keep But, it, but keep essentially it. a claiming race 
is where if you're putting this horse in, you're saying somebody else can put in a claiming slip for it. And when that race starts, if someone put in a slip for it, they own the horse. Yep, they buy the horse. Drop dead or win or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the guy that put the horse in the race keeps a purse. Right. Not the guy that buys it. And, you know, they get paid. If it's a $5,000 claiming race, they get the purse and the claiming price. The guy that puts a claim in for five, has buys to it, it, has to pay the owner. Yeah. But the owner gets to keep the purse, and yeah, they get yes, paid the yes, claiming yes, price. Yes. Yeah. 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 But that was a different world. What was Playfair like? Because you, yeah. you, I mean... Grew up seeing it, didn't you? Well, I ran it in 66 and 68. Not the backside, but the... Turf club and... Clubhouse, paddock, admissions, parking, everything but the horse barns. They were stealing money. And so our friend Friedman, the secretary at the theaters... Her husband was Glenn Friedman that ran Zucker's clothing store downtown. And he was a gray-haired, good-looking guy, and he was an exact replica of a movie star. But I can't think of the guy's name. But Franny, she married, before Glenn, she married a hockey player that was on the cover of Life magazine. Hmm. And so, anyway, I... Got off track here. So you you were running. Oh, so Franny, yeah, she had been secretary at the theaters, and so she goes to work for George Manos at Playfair as a secretary. Somebody's stealing money in the parking lot, and so they, she said, "You need to get Gary Owens out here. He'll figure it out." So it took me a little bit, and I figured it out. What they were doing is they go in and pay your parking. And they tear, they got a roll of tickets, they tear one off and put it under your windshield wiper. Well, they were going out and taking them off the windshield wiper and reselling them, <laughs> keeping the money. And I didn't figure that out for a bit until I realized some of these tickets got rock chip marks on them where they was on the... And they were already on the windshield. Yeah. They'd been on the ground and they resettle them. So I catch them, and uh, George says, "You gotta, you gotta, you gotta come here and work." I said, "I can't. I'm got ten drive-ins going." And they said, "I forget what they paid me. They paid me well." So I I did it, and so I went to win the Playfair. These old guys, the union, the union was in there. So I put in valet parking. I called up Larry Kintop, the baseball coach at Gonzaga University. Well, and there had been valet parking, right? No. Oh. So I started valet parking. Huh. And I take all them old ushers that used to run in bets for the women in the box seats and you could have broke your leg, and they'd have stepped over you and not paid any attention to get to the window to bet for the old ladies who were tipping them to run bets. So I take all these old guys, and I put them in valet parking. 
I called Ken Top up. He sent me a bunch of Gonzaga baseball players. And these baseball players, they, they would get in a line. So when the car pulled up, the guy first in line would take that car and go park it and come back and get in line at the back of the line. Well, first thing happened was the Gonzaga kids figured out we haul our ass back in the line by sprinting home, parked the car, get back in line. More cars, more tips. Yeah, these old guys, they're walking up the hill, and these Gonzaga guys are going by them like they're tied up. So when I got those old guys, I, I'm fighting with a union. There are two or three unions I'm dealing with. And I said, the union, oh, they got all a bit out of shape. I said, hey, I'm not putting anybody out of work. They're working. Mm-hmm. You know, but they just all quit. You know, they see that they're not getting any tips, and they God, the kids are wiping them out. So to replace them, I go down. Jack LaRue worked with me at the Washington State Department of Agriculture, and his wife Phyllis owned half of Dresden School of Charm. And this was to replace the ushers that were inside the clubhouse. Clubhouse, turf club, paddock room, bleachers, everywhere. Yeah, basically anywhere inside the front gates. Right, selling tickets, tearing tickets as they walk through the turnstiles. So I, I call Phyllis and says, would you get... Would you any of your girls want to have a d- job? Well, she sent out thirty of them, and I hired twenty-four of them. And I I dressed them in black skirts, white blouses, red blaze blazers, bright red, like a riding jacket. Yeah, black tall boots, and a black hard riding helmet. Helmet. Mm-hmm. Kind of a, yeah, I mean, well, they were good racehorse. Uh, these, you know, these, yeah, mm-hmm. they're good looking women, and one of them was six foot six with her boots on, and Bill Bance was an attorney in Spokane and on the board of directors, and so George Manos, the owner, and Barbara. They said, when they saw him, they just this really went over big. There's all these old grouchy guys. There's all these beautiful girls dressed up. So, well, and they were friendly. I mean, they were polite. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, it changed so the George, he culture. Said, George, he's going to surprise Bill Bantz. So one of these girls is six foot six in her boots. So George, he takes Bill Bantz, and uh, they go into the turnstile, walk through the turnstile. And Bill's looking at this girl eye to eye. That never happened before. He turns around, he's walking backwards after he went to the turnstile looking at this girl. Just in disbelief. The whole crowd was that way with him. It was a heck of a change from these old grouchy men. And I remember one, one girl, one woman, Donna Journey was her name. She is beautiful. She was a hostess of the turf club. And um, 
Her son, Brad Journey, did some construction work for us later on. I said, Journey, would you know Donna Journey? He said, that's my mom. She's classy. So anyway, I spruced up Playfair, and it it went over like a big time. People liked it. It was a big move. In the whole place. So we took a picture of all these girls, 24 of them in their uniforms in the paddock, and I, I, I called Kelly Manos because George, George is alive. George is dead. Barbara's alive. And Kelly was going to have Barbara call me, but didn't. She said, Barbara's getting real forgetful. But I'm trying to get a picture of those girls in that paddock because it was quite a picture. So keeping with Playfair, um, Turbulator was a horse. Did he start at Playfair, his career? Yeah. Tom Crawford, Tom and Marguerite Crawford owned Turbulator. And as he's growing up, they put him on their cattle ranch in Montana, and he runs into an irrigation pipe and tears his chest open. So they leave him out there till he's three years old and bring him into town to work him on the track. Holy cow, the horse could run. So they get him started in a racetrack at Playfair, and he's horses a year at Playfair. He wins a Playfair mile. He wins it. He just wipes them out. They take him to Seattle. They take him to Yakima. He does that. Take him to Seattle. He does it to, Wins a long acres mile, he just winning them all. And so they retired. He was horse of the year. And uh, they never sent him south where he'd have done real well. So anyway, Tom dies. And Tom kept his mares up at Bonzer's. So when I buy the Bonzer farm, I get a little two-horse trailer that Tom Crawford owns part of it and Bonzer's, and and so I inherit part of that trailer. So Marguerite gets where she wants to, doesn't want to take care of turbulators, so she they send her out, send him out to me, and. His mother's name was Furpiece, and they sent her out to me too. I bred her to flag officer, hmm. and um, I forget what happened with the baby. I don't think it was that much, but uh, they had a turbulator day in Spokane. Spokane or Seattle? Both. They celebrated him. So Peter Urane from Australia is working for me, and so. When Turbulator comes to the farm, Peter's the groom. He takes care of the horse. And uh, Peter rides with the horse to Seattle, and they parade that horse at Seattle. That's kind of where they they took him along the crowd. They ponied him along. Mm -hmm. Went back up the head of the stretch, galloping in front of the crowd. The horse tried to get away and run. They were holding him back. 
the crowd roared, and he's wondering. It was beautiful. He knew, he knew he wanted to run. Well, then they did. Didn't they let him go? No. Oh. They let him gallop, but he wanted to run. Yeah. The horse retarded our farm. We buried him. We buried him in the paddock at Playfair, and five of us. Joe Zero and me and Bill from Harrington, Bill on the board. Five of us threw in $1,000 a piece. Some girl, her dad was a champion bronc rider in the United States from Wilbur. She made a bronze statue of his head. And we put that in the paddock and that, that statue, I'm not sure where it's at right now. It's at Emerald Downs. It is? Mm-hmm. It had a turbulator day, and they made cups, turbulator cups, and we got two of those. Put a pitcher inside the cup. A lot of good times in the racing. Yeah. There's one time that's just now popping into my head with your dad where you had to get his help. Uh, breeding, breeding, yeah. Oh, I think I told you about that. <laughs> well, we bring flag officer home, and he's big time. I mean, he doesn't Washington never seen anything like him. His mother was the best bull ruler distance daughter. His dad was hoist the flag of champion, unbeaten two year old. Was it was his mother Batur? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, before he even had a chance to start breeding, didn't, uh, was it Calumet Farms? Who who flew out right after you bought him? Claiborne. Claiborne Farms, yeah. Where his secretariat was. Yeah. They wanted him home. Yep. Wasn't there, like, an unwritten rule? Not an unwritten rule, but, like, an attitude in Kentucky where they bring those horses home. When they're oh, done racing. Oh, good horses like that. So in Washington, he was just outstanding. And, you know, he had bowled, he had bowled winning the Illinois Derby mm-hmm. or before that. And or during the Derby, he bowled the tendon, his right hind leg, right front leg. And uh, normally, what I should have did, I should have, they run pins, needles to the tendon on the that's bowed out of the sheath, leave him out a year and bring him back. I should have did that. He might have been one of the greatest race horses ever. He was really good. And uh, anyway, we didn't. So when we bring him home, there's we had over 200 people want to breed mares to him. So we selected from 200 and bred 40 or 50, second year 60. Well, and you have to limit it because it's all... Live breeding yeah. with thoroughbreds. So we sold 40 shares in the horse. We kept 20, and we sold 20. Mm-hmm. And so they could breed. The second year, they could breed. Every other year, they had an extra breeding. So he rolled out. And then right off the bat, he had this flag loon out of an envoy. Envoy is by son of a bull ruler. His envoy mare 
named something loon. Well, Flag de Loon. No. He's side Oh, who the dam was. Yeah, uh, out of a bull ruler daughter. Gotcha. Uh, 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 out of a daughter. Out of a son. Anyway, bull ruler bloodline. So they get this filly called Flag de Loon. And so we got her at the farm, raising her up, and and uh, she don't have very straight legs. And so I didn't see her. McMinnery, our insurance guys, three of them owned the mother, bred the mother, and got flagged loon. So she runs in Seattle and wins the first race. No, it loses. Wins the first. Anyway, the trainer, his daughter is an exercise rider, and she wants to be a jockey. She rides a horse. And uh, I said to the owner, McMinnery, three guys, I said, you got to get a different trainer. You can't have a trainer just wanting his daughter to ride the horse. You got you, you got you got a good horse here. You need to take it south. They said, "Oh, you don't want to ship it." Take that. I said, "Listen, I'll take my truck and trailer, and I'll haul it down there myself." And uh, well, we can't get a stall. They talked about it. I said, well, "I can get you a stall," because I'd hired. Barry Rogers, uh, his, jet, his son Jeff, I hired to run our advertising agency in L.A. So well, his dad ran Santa Anita. Yeah, so mm-hmm. he's so Flag Deloon heads south to Santa Anita. She goes to Del Mar first. Mm. She wins a Ramona handicap, a Grade One stake, against the best fillies in the United States. They were in there. I forget their names, but one of them was a European, undefeated European champion mare. And she went to the Arlington Million in Chicago and ran against Cigar and got beat a neck by Cigar, and he was a big-time horse. And she left that race and went to Del Mar and Flag de Lune ran again her. Beat her by eight lengths and would have beat her by fifteen lengths if it would have been a mile and a sixteenth, but it was a, or a mile and eighth, but it was a mile and a sixteenth. <laughs> she just stomped on her. Wow. Well, and that was—I mean, was she the first Washington bred grade stakes winner? Well, first first one to win a Grade One in California. In any, anywhere. First Washington bred. So well, when I hauled her, they didn't want to send her south to get the van in her. So I said, well, get in the van with me. We'll haul her down there. So we take her down there, and we get her in the trailer. And I hadn't seen her since she's quite a while, you know. I looked at her legs, and I said, my God, this filly's turned out crooked. Hmm. And Dick McMurtry, one of the owners, I mean, he said, she is? I don't look at her. They come down and out. Jeez. Not at the knee. I said, you only got 10 races at the most in this horse. Wow. So you want to make them count. This ain't going to hold up. So she ran 10 races. That was it. She broke down. Yeah. Sent her to Las Barrera mm-hmm. at Hollywood Park, and 
Laz was training a firm to racing against Alidar. So he's in Chicago and Kentucky, and his kid Pedro trains while he's out of town. Pedro runs this filly in the mud around the dogs. They set up cones called dogs because mm. it gets real muddy at the, by the racetrack, so they put the, the dogs inside, up there and yeah. push them out a little to get better dirt. Mm-hmm. Runs it inside the dogs, breaks the filly down. Flag the loon? Yep. So they flew her to Kentucky and bred her to three or four good studs and nothing ever happened. She didn't produce a good... We could look her up and see. I think one of them may have won 100000 or something. Now, before we wrap up here, uh, did you want to tell the story about your dad up at the horse barns or save it for uh, next time? I'll tell you real quick. Real quick. We bring a flag officer home. And it, he's a stud, and every time at the racetrack that he wants to see a mare, or they slap him, you know, don't do that. Don't think about it. So we bring him to the stud farm, and we bring the mare out, wrap her tail, put the leather over her neck. Cause he gets frustrated. He's biting her neck, and then he's down on his knees trying to rip her guts out. And he's a bad actor. He's really frustrated. So we're calling Gainesway and Claiborne Farms, and we're ready to fly a breeding crew from their breeding shed out to get this stud to breed. So I'm telling Dad, we're 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 in bad shape. We got a good horse here. We can't make him breed. Ah, Dad says, I'll be up there in a few minutes. Get a mare, get a get a teaser mare, and I'll be up. So he gets out of his car. He says, "Now take that mare over there, and or take the stud over there." And there's a six six or eight mares in his paddock. And he's running by, and the mares are all in heat and wanting him. And so Dad, he gets the mare we're going to breed. She's all wrapped up, clean, washed, ready. We take him up there, get him behind her. No, Dad says no. Take the horse over there to the mares and bring bring the mare. Take, take flag officer over there. Yeah, and bring him back. And then take this mare, bring him up to flag officer. So we bring him up and put her tail Nose tail. No, Dad says, take him back over there. Take her back over there. Bring her up nose to nose. Man, that horse, it was like touching two wires together, negative, positive. They bowed their necks. He, he let down. I mean, he's just nose Ready. to nose was really the trick. <laughs> so Dad's take it, take it away, take her away. Bring her up nose to nose. Same thing. Now bring her and turn her around. And it's, he said, now walk her away. And as she walked away, the horse jumped up, grabbed her with his legs and bred her. Hmm. Dad gets in his car and says, call me if you got any more questions. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah, it went from despair to... Just had to figure out what he needed. Yeah. Or, yeah. Dad knew horses. 
Yeah, when he was 12 years old, he'd been a road grader on the county road with a team of horses. Well, so I think we're going to wrap up today. We kind of bumped up on our time that we've we've got free time today. We've got to get back to the farm. Um, but thank you for coming in with me and talking a little more. And I think there's a few more we'll touch on next time with uh, the horse racing and This concludes the third conversation between Justin and his grandfather, Gary. To listen to the next conversation of Can't Stop Moving, check out episode 9 of Can't Stop Moving. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and download so you don't miss a single episode. You can find Can't Stop Moving podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Visit us at owensfarms.com and interact with us on Instagram at modernfarmerusa.com.